Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those he favors. Well, good evening. That's kind of a weird thing to say good evening. Just want to say hey? All right, good to see you. Um, are we all awake out here today? Um, the, the, in Luke chapter 1, the um, gospel writer shares this part of the Christmas story. Verse 26 tells us, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to be, to, to a man named uh, Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Can you imagine what it was like to be Mary at this moment? Shock, wonder. doubts. She asked the angel, how can this be since I've had no sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit 
will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's easy to read this without putting yourself in Mary's position. I mean, honestly, you hear an angel say that, what do you think? Oh, that explains everything. I've seen that happen, but oh, you're doing it that way again. Clearly, I find this much more enjoyable than you do. Verse 36, and consider the facts, she says. Your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your presence be known. May we somehow do a little bit of justice for this amazing truth and of what you want to do with your presence among us today. We want to stand in wonder of Jesus. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Nothing will be impossible with God. You were placed on your chair when you came in was a stone. Resist every temptation you have to use it to express your opinion of the preacher tonight. Take that stone and, um, hey, how are we all doing today? Are we with us? All right, Merry Christmas. All right, Merry Christmas Eve. Okay, there was a pen on your, uh, on your chair as well. Let me encourage you to write on this Luke 137 or L137. 1 colon 37. That's the passage that I want for us to be uh, emblazoned on our minds tonight. The angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. What is it in your life right now that you believe is impossible, that if God, something that God might do in your life for his glory and your good, except you look at it and say, impossible. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song, got any rivers you think are uncrossable, got any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in things thought impossible. He does things no one else can do. What are the mountains that you can't tunnel through, the rivers you cannot cross. But there's a part of you that knows it would honor God and be a blessing to me and others if God would accept. Maybe it's a big thing that you just point out and say impossible. Maybe it's a bunch of little things. Impossible, 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 impossible. And the angel, the angel's words to Mary are God's words to you today. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, I read recently that the Collins English Dictionary has revealed its word of the year for 2022, and it is the word permacrisis. Permacrisis. For the English majors amongst us, it is a noun. It's defined as an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events, perma-crisis. 
How many of you feel like you live in a state anymore of perma-crisis? The 24-hour news cycle has us in this state of perma-crisis. We feel like this pinball, does anybody remember pinball? Just kind of bouncing from one thing to another, perma-crisis to another. I think it's one of the reasons we find the Christmas story so relatable. It is the story of the introduction of a perma-crisis. The angel says to Mary, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And what's her response? Joy, peace. No. She was deeply troubled, it says, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Immediately, this announcement of the angel plunged Mary, not into a season of perma-crisis, but into a life of perma-crisis. The whole rest of her life would be changed would be one perma-crisis after another. The angel said, don't be afraid though, Mary. You found favor with God. Even if you find favor with God, you're going to go through crises. The angel's words did not settle Mary's anxieties. Flummox, she asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God, Mary. Now today, a virgin conceiving without having had relations with a man is not unbelievable for us. We figured how to do that in the 20th century. Certainly, the God who made us knew how to to accomplish such a thing a few years before we did. Malcolm Muggeridge once observed, the most profound and most erudite minds, the greatest artists and craftsmen, found no difficulty in accepting the virgin birth as an un incontestable fact. Are we then to suppose that our forebears were gullible fools, whereas we have put aside childish things? and become mature. No, the words of Matthew are true. Matthew 1.22, all these took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us, because nothing is impossible with God even a virgin birth to a young woman in Nazareth. Here's the question, morally, the moral equivalence. As hard as that was for Mary to believe that she was going to be given birth to the Most High by a miracle of God, what's the moral equivalent of, for you of the virgin birth? If God could do one thing in your life for his glory and a blessing to you and a blessing to others, what would it be except you say, how can this be? Impossible. Uh, J.B. Phillips once wrote a classic Christian book entitled Your God is Too Small. His idea there is that the problem that many of us have, so many of our troubles are discovered because our God isn't big enough to handle them, to, to carry our modern needs, our perma-crises. The great reformer 
Martin Luther once told a friend of his, your thoughts of God are too human. Boy, that convicts me. How about you? When I think about God, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't know that I'm even capable of understanding a God who is limitless, timeless, all-powerful, all-sovereign. And so I tend to just imagine him as, as a larger version of us. We're in pretty good company. That's what the Greeks did, right? That's what the Romans did. Their gods weren't really gods. They were just outsized versions, oversized versions of human beings. I'm guilty of that. My God is too small, you see. I think that God can move mountains, just not mine. God does hear and answer prayers. I'm just not sure that he'll answer mine. You know, my Lord do this impossible thing. God does lead. He does do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine through his power that it was his work within us. He really does change lives and hearts and relationships. He really does heal the deepest wounds. Just not mine. He's done it for people in the past, just not for us today. Impossible. And so we fill our lives with anxieties and doubts and fears and hopelessness because our God is too small to handle them. The irony is we prefer a God who is small. Do we not? A God who is small is manageable, predictable. We can explain away things with natural explanations. A God that is small is not sovereign over us, we control him. He doesn't shape us, we shape him. He doesn't tell us what to do. He doesn't tell us what is right and wrong. We tell him, according to modern progress, what is right and wrong. It's just easier to believe in a God who's made in our image. The problem, of course, is a God that is small enough to be defined and shaped by us is not big enough to be worshipped by us. And he's nowhere big enough to be trusted by us. He can't do the impossible. So the words of the angels, the angel rings out for us today, nothing is impossible with God. Take a look at your rock. What is that thing? God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. What is that thing that if that you really believe if God would do it, it would be for his glory and your good and others. And tonight you need to take that rock and you need to say, God, take it. God, I trust you with humble faith, even childlike faith. Where do we begin? What's an easy, small next step in the right direction? Could it be that we need just to begin by being aware of who we, who we really admire? One of my favorite stories at Christmas time is Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's told every year in a gazillion different ways, right? But when you watch that, honestly, who do we admire? You know, who are the main characters you have? Scrooge, as you think about Scrooge, what do you think of? You think of a guy who is curmudgeonly and miserly. 
not real happy, not real joyful. He's not generous at all, but he's smart. On the other hand, you have Bob Cratchit, Tiny Tim. When you think of their characteristics, what do you think of? Well, they're certainly joyful. They're certainly generous. But they're also a bit naive, aren't they? Very childlike. What a contrast. Now, the thing you have to appreciate about Crash, of course, is that he is the definition of biblical love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 tells us that love always trusts, always hopes. Love is naive, is it not? Love is very Bob Cratchit-y, very credulous. It's kind of what Jesus was alluding to, wasn't it? When the children were wanting to come to him, and he said, let the little children come to me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. Who makes up the kingdom of heaven? The credulous Cratics, Cratchits, the childlike Tiny Tims. Cratchit even believes in Scrooge. He even hopes for Scrooge. How naive is that? Ask yourself, as you watch the Christmas Carol, a Christmas Carol, who do you admire? Don't you admire Cratchit? But ask yourself, in real life, who do you admire? Scrooge or Cratchit? Who do you think is going to succeed in business? Who do you think is going to get promoted working for the government? Can you imagine Bob Cratchit holding down a job as a reporter at CNN or Fox News or MSNBC? You know, a part of the White House press corps. Who do you think is going to get more likes on social media? You know, the cynical, snide Scrooge or the naive, always positive, generous Cratchit? I was thinking about The Office the other day, The Television Show or, or, or Seinfeld. Who are the heroes on those shows? The naive? Nah. It's those who are a bit cynical, caustic. Funny thing, isn't it? We admire Cratchit in the fictional story, but we really admire Scrooge in everyday life. I mean, it's Bob Cratchit for sentimentality. It's Scrooge for practicality. And into this skeptical, cynical world, Jesus comes as an innocent, vulnerable baby. He teaches our children of such is the kingdom of heaven. The angels announce nothing is impossible with God. Look at your rock. Hold that Luke 137 rock. In your life, what does it mean for you to believe that God is able to do immeasurably more, that God is able to do the impossible? What does it mean for you to dare to be a Cratchit, to let God be as big as he is?
In C.S. Lewis' book, The Last Battle, Aslan represents the Jesus figure again. He's with the children. They're watching skeptics who refuse to believe in Aslan. Aslan wants them to come out of their cynical old life and to find the life that they so are made for, but they just, they just don't respect credulousness. They just respect their skepticism. They hold on to their unbelief, and Aslan says to the children, you see, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison, so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. So afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. And so it is with me when I look at what is the impossible thing, the thing I think is impossible that would be for God's glory and my and others' goods, good. But I'm just so afraid of being taken in, being seen as naive, being embarrassed, being hurt, being disappointed. Tonight, Jesus comes into the world as a baby because he wants to take you and me out of our unbelief. Look at your rock. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Any mountains you can't tunnel through? Financial mountains, wound mountains, addiction mountains. I can't change this in my life mountains. Any relationship mountains, loneliness, grief, hopelessness, despair, hope, dreams, mountains. God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things no one else can do. This Christmas, hear the angel say, nothing is impossible with God. Dare to trust, to pray. Stop scrooging and start believing. Heavenly Father, um, it's easy for us to project faith into Mary and into the characters, the people of the Bible, and think, of course they would believe. Uh, And it's so much more difficult for us when we are faced in our situations to believe. So Lord, speak to us, each of us right now. Take us out of our self-protected phony maturity and take us back to the maturity of childlike faith really believing that all things are possible with you that we really can trust you through Christ I pray amen